that's right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Friday edition of Blaine and Nikki. Oh, my goodness. Let me just tell you, I know we're going to talk a lot about the balls today. We're going to get into the Titans as well. But I'm broadcasting from the happiest place on earth today. Not Disney World. Red Wolf Centennial Bank Stadium on this scenic, beautiful, glorious, historic campus of Arkansas State University. I'm in the press box. I'm high above the city of Jonesboro. I have goosebumps on my arms right now. I can see they don't have the fountains. We have fountains in our stadium. They're not turned on, but I can't wait. Maybe they'll turn those on later. I can see the field house where the team is preparing to do battle with and ultimately, hopefully, just completely destroy the will to live of the University of Central Arkansas fighting bobcats or whatever they are and it's going to be amazing and um i'm just so happy to be here so here's the deal i'm in the press box so i know i may sound a little different we're doing the show via zoom today alex apple sitting in for the hitman as he continues his travel tour uh of the midwestern united states but alex at times today i'll make sure during the commercial breaks when we have time and i'll kind of show people around a little absolutely bit so, they, so they can just feast their eyes on this amazing hidden diamond of a stadium in the diamond states actually Arkansas. you got to cue us up on twitter or facebook or youtube or twitch or wherever every other place that everything is simulcast now um I'm glad you're in the happiest place on earth i'm in the happiest place on earth because it's football season maybe and last night's falls game gave us everything we could want a little angst a little excitement but yeah. football is back and um, now, you know, on the field, did it give you everything you could want? No, maybe not. But I'm choosing today to choose joy, Mickey. I'm looking at it as a glass half full environment. And I think that's the way Vols fans should look at it. They lost seven, eight top 100 players as soon as Josh Heupel took over. He's been there all of seven months. The starting quarterback's only been there and practicing with him for three months. And so I'm going to hope that there's going to be a little bit of improvement with continuity, with a comfort level, with some synergy with the receivers, uh, and that Josh Heupel is going to do what he's being paid to do there, and that's coach up the offense and get a team that scored 38 against Bowling Green to the point where they're scoring 30, 40 points against far superior competition um, as well. I love that football's back. I did not watch the game last night and sit there and – it put me in a, in a grumpy mood. I'm choosing, and I tweeted this for Vols fans who were booing at halftime. Stop it. I heard that. We all have, we all, as Vols fans, I'm with you, have a little crazy inside of us. We're a little bit nuts. <laughs> the only way that Greg Schiano is not the head football coach right now. <laughs> but, but oh. put the nuts inside you a little bit. Uh, keep the crazy inside. That didn't come out quite right. Uh, keep the crazy inside of you a little bit and give these We're off guys the rails. It's official. a chance. Yes. Give them a chance. I'm giving them a chance. Hey, here's what I know. Even if the Vols are bad again this year, don't have a great yes. year, they're going to be bad and exciting. And that's a whole lot better than Jeremy Pruitt's combo of bad and boring. <sighs> um, um, at halftime, how did you feel? And, and I'm not asking just – I'm not just asking Alex Apple and Lucas Panzeca, although, although I'd be curious to hear how both of you felt at halftime. All you Vol fans, because I, I here's I wrote down these words. Uh oh, it felt like the last ten years. 
You're letting them hang around. You start out with the bang, and then it's like, wait a second, that's not working. Oh, that's not working. Oh, wait, he was nine for 11, and now he, it, they can't complete a pass. Wait, what is going on? You're letting a terrible team hang around, and now they have life. It just seemed like, and I, literally, the one thing I said every day last week, I think, was just don't let them hang around. You're superior to them in every possible way. And Blaine talked about this, and I've told the story a bunch of times, when Hugh Freeze was the, the coach, literally right down on the field below me here at Arkansas State. I asked him once, because he'd been in Ole Miss, and people know his history, and I said, what's the difference between here and Ole Miss? Like, what's the difference between Middle Tennessee and Michigan? I said, other than the, other than the obvious differences. And he said, that's easy. He said, and Blaine literally said the same thing last week. He looked me dead nine. There were people standing around. You know, he was saying this within your side of the players. He said, everybody's got some fast guys because they make more fast people than they do big, freaky offensive line people. He said, now, Auburn or Ole Miss or Alabama, they just have a lot more. But he said, you can play anybody. And they might have a guy who was going to go to Alabama. Maybe his grades kept him from it or whatever. So he said, yeah. Every team has some skill position guys. They do. But he said, God only made a certain amount of linemen that are just elite. The guy who's 315, who can run like a deer, like Taylor Lewan. And he didn't know who that was then, and neither did I. But I'm giving people that example. Like Taylor Lewan, I don't care how fast you think you are. Taylor Lewan is a left tackle in the NFL. And if you went out and raced him, he would smoke you. I mean, those people are just different, and God only made a certain number of them. He said all those guys go to the SEC, and they go to the Big Ten, and they go to power conferences. He said we may not ever get one of those guys, but we would get fast guys and skilled guys who might be able to start and certainly play a lot on those teams. But it's just all of the big guys that you can't find enough of. And so let me hit you with some quick reactions that I had, and this will maybe jog some other people's minds. and. Um, Call in, please. We want this to be a group discussion here. I looked at the Vols last night, and ironically, exactly what you're saying everybody has, I think that's a little bit of what the Vols are missing. If the Vols have dynamic playmaking athletes on the outside playing wide receiver, they probably score 52 points last night. I mean, if Jalen Hyatt doesn't drop two balls, they probably scored 50 points last night. That took yeah. at least four points off the board, and it, it stymied another drive in the second quarter. I think the receivers are suspect. Um, and then I think there's got to be a comfort level that will come, and hopefully it will come as Joe Milton gets more reps, more familiar with the offense. I think the offense was quite vanilla last night. I don't think they showed a ton. But here's the, here's the comparison that I thought of watching Joe Milton a little bit last night because his feet were so stagnant. Other than Jay Cutler, I've never seen somebody move his feet less in the pocket. I mean, and even as he's scanning his reads, your feet need to move in unison so you can snap a quick throw. I looked at him and thought he was a little flat-footed last night. Fortunately, he had all the time in the world to throw. It almost looked all weird. The time. They had so much time. And he stands there and just completely his feet are almost stopped. And I think that struggled, kept him from struggling to, or kept or made him struggle getting through his reads. Um, and you think it's the lack of a little bit of dynamic talent on the outside, but you hope Heupel coaches these guys up. That's what he's paid to do. And now that's what I'll await. I'm looking at this as class half full. We got phone calls on the Mark Spain real estate hotline again. How are you feeling? Because I had mixed emotions about it. The, the first half felt like the last 10 years of Tennessee football. And the second half, they finally realized 
they, they literally came out, ran the ball eight times and scored on the first drive of the second half. It's, and I know you have to work. They went into that game thinking, we just got to work on us. And obviously the passing game has a lot of work to do. We got Chuck, we got Phil. Let's try to squeeze both of these calls in. Chuck from The View up first. What's going on, Chuck? What's going on, fellas? Um, yeah, just calling to talk about uh, my favorite brethren, uh, Vols fans across the great state of Tennessee. Um, I, for one, was took the game as a positive step as well. Um, I think you've got a lot of folks that are on the wait and see thing. I will say this as far as, you know, positivity and real intangibles to be positive about. I think this is the first coach we've had in about a decade uh, that we feel like we can rally around. But I, I think the first, you know, the first quarter there, for those of us that were, you know, just kind of waiting to see, to watch the offense come out and have some rhythm and start scoring, all of a sudden, you know, you kind of fed into the hype there for just a moment. And then when that second quarter quarter hit and all of a sudden you're watching balls jump off of wide receivers' hands and, uh, you know, Milton stumbling over his toes after about three years, you know, I think the cringe effect came back. But, you know, for for all of Balls Nation, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to be a positive year. You either thought we were going to be 5-7 and seven or 7-5 seven and five to start the year. We still have the same expectations. Let's be positive. Uh, back to coach, back our balls, and, hey, go Big Orange. Thanks, guys. Chuck, I appreciate the perspective. And Chuck, I, I think you make a good point. You got to get. And let me make an let me make an example or a comparison here. Tom Brady goes to the Tampa Bay Bucks last year. The first month of the season, Bruce Arians was criticizing him in press conferences. They didn't look that right. They gone to win the Super Bowl. Now that's a great example of dynamic players and coaches. But it takes time in a new system to formulate. Um, a synergy between the receivers and the quarterback for the quarterback to get uh, comfortable progressing through his reads. I don't know what the Michigan offense was looking like, but I guarantee you it's not Josh Heupel's offense. Um, and they're trying to run 85 plays a game and he's getting the signals. He's getting everybody lined up. I I'm willing to give them time. What do you have as false fans? You can either choose to give them time and give them a chance or we'll just get upset. If you want to get upset, you call in too. But I I'm hoping that more Vols fans are choosing to give them time. Think about this. And this is the one thing I keep coming back to because I, I still wonder about Milton because he was a 56.6% passer at Michigan over three years. And last night he didn't complete 50%. Now he had a couple of drops. First of all, the dude has a, a howitzer for an arm. He could, one of the he best could you've throw, ever seen. He could throw the ball over the mountains like Uncle Rico. But if somebody just said, I'm going to write this down on paper, the other team's going to score six points. Bowling Green's going to score six. Vols are going to beat them by 32. I'm just going to slide this over. And they're going to run for 326 yards. I'm going to slide this over. Will you sign off on this? Everybody would have signed off on that. It's just how it got there. It was just the first half was, was just such a horrible flashback for everybody. Uh, let's, let's squeeze in one more phone call. We got Buck Rising coming up. But let's get Phil from Franklin in. Uh, Phil, welcome in. Thanks for calling Blaine and Mickey on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. Oh, yeah. Um, nice to talk to you guys. Mickey, first of all, I just want to let you know, uh, I've been to Jonesboro a number of times. Uh, played rugby when I was younger. It's the first oh. fight I ever saw. It was uh, pretty disturbing. But anyway, oh. Oh, <laughs> is, is that a feather in Jonesboro's cap there? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know. I just kept looking over my back to see if police were coming. Um, 
but nonetheless, um, I wanted to comment. Uh, Hang on, Phil. How did you end up you at could... the cockfight? How, how does that even happen? Well, well it was um, it, we. I played rugby. I played club side rugby in Jonesboro. I, I think didn't that? I think their university there won the national championship a few years ago. Um, we did. You have to look we that up. Sevens, I'm we did. Sure yeah. But they had a club side team, and we yep. we'd go visit them, and you know, have fun. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> call it that. Wild times. Um, oh. I'm sorry. I said, yeah, sounds like you had all kinds of fun here. Well, let's let's get out of the cockfighting and into uh, your take on Joe Milton. Sure, we'll, sure. we'll segue so, from cockfighting um, to Joe Milton. Short, but maybe y'all can do this at break. Alex, you can just look up. You know, there's a former uh, SEC quarterback that's now in the NFL that uh, is going to be starting for the Dallas Cowboys. And if you look at film on Dax Prescott, he would stand in the pocket flat-footed. And so on your glass full, half full, Alex, um, I think maybe it's Heupel's way of uh, maybe it's a, it's, it's a coaching to keep him calm without happy feet, possibly. But if you look at Dax Prescott, he would sit in the pocket the same way flat-footed. And that's all I got, guys. Phil, thank you. Uh, I think for Joe Milton, he's like, why should I bounce around? I can flick my wrist and throw it 60 yards. I mean, I, I, I mean, that guy's so gifted from arm talent. It's just unbelievable. He's just but you gotta, can't only rely on it. You just can't oh, only rely on it. And that and therein lies the challenge for Josh Heupel, who was a national championship winning quarterback at the highest level of football, who's got to try to over the course of, well, now 11 games remaining to make him that quarterback that they truly think he can be. Uh, I know we got Tony. We got Kevin listed. Buck Rising set to join us next. We'll talk to Buck. In the last segment of this hour, we can take all the phone calls you want to on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. It is Friday. Back, We're talking yeah. football. It is Blaine and Mickey with special guest Alex Apple on 104.5 The Zone. Woo, keep on rocking me, baby, on a Friday. Blaine and Mickey's special guest Alex Apple. We're talking balls. We're talking Titans. Now we're talking with Buck Rising. Brought to you by Two Rivers Ford, home of the non-commissioned salespeople. Buck, I know most of the time we just jump right into Titans, but I'm curious. You're like me. You're a guy who didn't grow up in Tennessee. Lucas grew up with Tennessee ties, some in Tennessee and some in Alabama, but with Tennessee ties. Alex is a guy who grew up in the state of Tennessee. We were both the guys who came here and, and wound up working in radio. So it, it's not something that we've grown up with. What's your just you're outside, you're just waiting for this balls thing to get back on track. You watched the game last night. What's your perspective based on what you saw last night? Oh, that they got a long way to go. I mean, you know, it's it didn't suck. <laughs> like, like <laughs> basically every other every other year that I've been down here sucked to watch them. But uh yeah, you know, I just kind of my expectations are so so low for Tennessee volunteer football. And I know that that's not the thing that the fan base wants to hear or the way that most people are going to approach it, but like they haven't mattered in my lifetime. I'm 28 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like they've mattered once in my lifetime, which is feels like 98 and I was five years old. So since then they just kind of, they're just kind of this passing thing where I keep waiting like Texas and Miami for them to be back. Right. But then they don't get back. And then it's just another, 
Okay, Georgia State. I think at this point, what you're looking for are building blocks. And you went out last night and you beat a team by 32 points. They only scored six. And I know Bowling Green's terrible and they were terrible last year, but you ultimately took care of your business. And, th- and that's kind of all you can do. Now, are there spots where they can improve? Absolutely. But Alex and I were talking about this before you came on. And I said, if before the game started, if somebody just slid like a white sheet of paper across the table to you and said, other team scores six, you rush for 326, you win by 32 points. If you'll take that, will you just sign here? And most of all fans have been like, yeah, I'm signing. We're all signing. Just show me where to sign. I mean, sure, but the line was 37 and a half, and Bowling Green (laughs) didn't win a game or didn't lose a game by less than 25 points last year. So, um, sure, building blocks are important, and the running game looked good. And the defense was not a mess as it was a year ago. And they look like they've got some kind of defensive line depth, except they're playing Bowling Green. So you don't know how competent that depth is. I mean, there's something there. Sure. But I don't, I don't feel, I mean, nothing's moving me off my position to say that they're going to still struggle to win six games this year. Buck rising joins us. uh, Buck rising show. Uh, he has a variety of podcasts with A to Z Sports. I, I don't have enough time to read all that Buck does, but suffice to say, he's a valuable member of our team. That's right. So, Buck, it would, do you change what you would define as a successful season for the Vols after watching them last night? After watching them last night? Hell no. They don't have a quarterback. He stands there flat-footed uh, and holds onto the <laughs> so football. What, so what is success to you then this year? I mean, success is success is a coaching staff. Oh, here's here's what I saw last night that's a positive: a coaching staff that has a plan, a coaching staff that is competent with in-game adjustments, and uh, was not overwhelmed by the moment where you know it's not a packed house; it's eighty-four thousand as opposed to one hundred and two. But I think that that can that can swallow up a lesser coach, a coach who's not prepared for that. And Josh Heupel has been in big games and in big moments, going back to his career as an Oklahoma quarterback. So it's not like he's not accustomed to something similar, but yeah, I think a coaching staff that has a plan and that, you know, even if the plan doesn't get executed as it did not entirely last night, whether it's drops by the wide receivers or Joe Milton, not being accurate and them needing to adjust to the run game, the run game was good, but it suffered when Cooper Mays went out and you're not going to have your starting offensive line throughout the course of an entire season. You are perilously thin when it comes to depth. So as long as the coaching staff can prove itself to be competent, the product, the product can be entertaining to watch, which it wasn't at for four quarters last night. They still have some work to do in that department. That would I would consider a success. Buck, Buck, let's shift gears. Uh, let's talk a little bit of Titans. Heck of a day yesterday for Jarrell Casey. I, I think I speak for a lot of people who just loved watching the guy play. They love who the guy is, but they also love seeing whatever might have flared up when he was traded away get patched up and to see him get a final day with the Titans that a lot of people appreciated seeing. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a pretty unique situation and not just specifically to John Robinson, but it's not the case everywhere else, right? You can harbor resentment for how your career ended at a place that means a great deal to you and where you started your career. If you're a, an NFL player and it can't, ha- and it doesn't always, in fact, more often than not, it doesn't have the kind of res- resolution that we saw last night where John is in attendance and he's speaking before Jarrell takes the stage and Jarrell talked about, yeah, there were some hard feelings initially, but we got on the phone and he welcomed me back with open arms and said, of course, 
because you mean so much to this uh, organization. It's not personal. It's just super cold. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that means a great deal to the fans. I know it meant so much to Jarrell with the way that they, after the press conference concluded, they kind of walked him through what his pregame routine would be again, going into the locker room, walking down the, the hallway from the locker room, out the tunnel, and then into Nissan Stadium where they gave him a, a tribute with a bunch of his former teammates from Derek Morgan to Marcus Mariota to Derek Henry, um, uh, Jason McCourty, that it seemed to it seemed to really touch him and his family. So for all of the way that you don't like how it ended, it was certainly nice to see one that had a little bit of a, a better finish than they so often do. We had a good discussion yesterday, Buck, with some people calling in about the most underrated Titan in their brief history. Uh, I think Mickey put it out on Twitter yesterday and it, it did engender some good discussion. There was a few people saying Jarrell Casey, although not as many given how many, you know, it was put out in the middle of his goodbye press conference. Um, I'm putting you on the spot here, but off the top of your head, I've tried to talk long enough to give you the chance to think of someone <laughs> who, uh, who stands out as one of the more underrated Titans to you in your mind, Buck. Underrated by who? Uh, the a general consensus, I guess you combine a, a little bit of the fans' perspective and a little bit of the media's. Um, so, like, are we, are we like talking locally? Are we talking about, like, the NFL? No, we're probably talking locally. By the NFL, I think you would put a whole lot more names in there than uh, just locally. I think this is from a fan perspective and the people that cover the team here locally. Um, That's a good question, locally. I... I mean, you can't say Brett Kern because there's not a more appreciated punter in the league than Brett Kern. <laughs> um, you know, Lucas just whispered into my ear, trying to be sly, Nate Washington. Um, Nate Washington. <laughs> we had so many answers of Nate Washington yesterday. He never caught more we than did. 70 passes. With you know team. what? I mean, Nate, Nate was a good player throughout the course of his career, and he did have some highlight reel moments with the Titans. I mean, can I, can I say Marcus Mariota? Does that I I really think wow. people I really think people underestimate how important he was to the place where they're at today. And I think mm -hmm. that you don't normally go that kind of direction with a starting quarterback and a second overall pick, but like the the he's he's a polarizing figure, which is inexplicable to me because he's the most bland individual sweet guy but just an incredibly bland individual for him to evoke such passion from people but i think i think marcus mariota is criminally underrated for what he did here he's like white toast kind of you don't really get excited about it so but your point is then that he was a bridge from an organization that was in disarray really struggling to get them to the point where they could be successful yeah i, th I think that people shouldn't sleep on that fact that is a good point. He, he did get, he did get them there, but I, well, I, I think a lot of people just remember him for now having seen the potential unlocked as soon as the quarterback change happened. Uh, and it seemed as if the whole team was transformed. Well, it was, I mean, you can't, you can't underestimate that at all, but it's not like that was his fault. He just physically fell apart at the end. Feels like I'm doing the same thing. Buck rising joins us on Blaine and Mickey. Um, were there, Somebody asked me at the drugstore or wherever I was and said, man, were you surprised about any of those cuts? And I looked the guy in the eye, I didn't even think about it. And I said, nope, I wasn't surprised by any of them. And I wasn't. And I'll ask you the same thing. Did any of the cuts, roster cuts by the Titans, ultimately surprise you in any way? 
Um, no, not John Simon because he doesn't play special teams, not Des Fitzpatrick because he didn't earn it over any of the seven guys that made it, which is telling that there were seven of them and he couldn't make the cut. Um, not, you know, I mean, like a fringe roster guy like Woodrow Hamilton who got a lot of snaps in the preseason, but I, I, when we were asked to do a 53-man roster projection, I had Anthony Rush on mine just because he has a different skill set than all the other guys that they have. Um, so no, I don't think there was anything that, that really struck me like that. I know fans love Mason Kinsey, which is kind of beyond me other than, I mean, he was productive during the preseason, but there's nothing special about him. So no, there wasn't anything that surprised me. Des Fitzpatrick, as you pointed out, did ultimately get cut. He continues his journey on the practice squad. It it seems like, what was it Wednesday when Vrabel and when J Rob spoke the theme, and I think it was Vrabel who went John Robinson was more like, hey, it takes some guys longer to get it than others. And he named uh, like some undrafted guys who'd really come on when they got here. And Mike Vrabel talked, I think he used the word urgency. And, and they talked about playing without the ball and playing better when you don't have the ball in your hands. Do you think at some point this year he gets it? Or does he just ultimately become a footnote for this team? Like, hey, remember that guy they took in the fourth round who's not around anymore? You know, not to dodge the question, Mickey, but I just, I don't know, right? I, I have no idea how that's going to go. Uh, I mean, based on based on uh, what it's looked like for the past couple of months that he's been in the organization, you would say that that's not trending that direction. But, I mean, at some point, there are going to be injuries, and at some point, he may face a call-up situation. And if that's the case, then he better be prepared or they're going to go to somebody else because they literally have seven wide receivers on this roster. <laughs> And it's not like they're lacking for options um, and need him that way. So I, I, I just, I don't know how to project that accurately. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, label him by what's happened so far. It's just that when we, when we did the radio show back in April pre-draft and I had Robert Simpson on, who's one of these analytical guys that was analyzing before Des Fitzpatrick was even mentioned in terms of the Titans, he had Des Fitzpatrick at the top of his list based on athletic score indicators, uh, in indications um, that he was one of the biggest bust potentials in this draft. Yeah. So the idea that they traded three picks up to get him and that not many people had him rated anywhere close to the fourth round, uh, it's it's perplexing. We have the highly rated Buck Rising on with us, though, right now on Blaine and Mickey. And, Buck, I was in for Blaine one day. I think when we were talking about the backup quarterback, uh, for us, it was probably in July or something like that, maybe even June. Uh, and at the time, you thought Kaiser would win the job. Um, but has your opinion of the, the status of the backup quarterback changed at all after what you saw this preseason, or it still worries you terribly if Ryan Tannehill ever were to miss a game? No, I mean, that's the case for any NFL team. Like, if, if you lose your starting quarterback. You have a little more confidence in Woodside now, though? Oh well, no, it wasn't a it wasn't a confidence thing, lack of confidence thing in Woodside. It's just we this was pre training camp, I think, when we last discussed this, and then I went out there and watched practice, and Deshaun Kaiser sucks at professional football, and then we all very quickly decided that that was not going to be the case for Deshaun Kaiser, and that Logan Woodside was better with institutional knowledge than any of the other guys that they brought in, including Matt Barkley as of late, who went back to their practice squad. So. I mean, no, I don't. I don't feel comfortable about anything behind any starting quarterback anywhere in the league. But they trust Woodside with the playbook, and they trust Woodside with the players that he's working with, and that's a better indication than anything else that we have because he hasn't actually played a real life regular season NFL snap. 
Buck Rising joins us on Blaine and Mickey. What what position group are you the most nervous with right now, Buck, as we're a couple of days essentially from starting the countdown to, to one week away? Offensive line. I mean, they're it's like Tennessee. They're perilously, perilously thin there with that kind of depth and you're not it, it's helped it helps that Aaron Brewer's back and I you know I've got a soft spot in my heart for my guy Corey Levin who's on their practice squad but you know mm-hmm. his his washout rate elsewhere in the league would suggest that they were right about him the first time as much as of a surprise that does that seem to the rest of us and I say that respectfully because Corey's my dude but um uh, yeah, it's just not good there. You you have a second-round pick in Dylan Radens, who isn't even good enough to be in competition with the three other players at the starting right tackle spot. So, and he may just be a guard for, for as much as they play him there. So I don't think you trust any of them outside of the starting five. And, and even the starting five, including that new right tackle, whether it be Sambrello or Kendall Lamb or David Questenberry, I think you look at and are uh, – it's it's a pretty tenuous situation because Questenberry was fine last year at left, but the rest, the three of them have film on tape, and it would suggest that that's not something that is better than, you know, say, Dennis Kelly. I got one more question for you, Buck, before we have to go to a break, and that would be you started your show today talking about VFL Bowser or the monstrosity that was that rap that Brent and Ron and everyone was playing yesterday. If you had to, for the rest of your life, only listen to one rap song, would you choose an Isaiah Wilson track or would you go Bowser? Um, I would probably take my own life. (laughs) If I had to, you know, go about it that way. What if it was Isaiah Wilson rapping that track? uh, I think my position stands (laughs) as far as, I, you know, life isn't worth living at that point. Has he dropped anything new, by the way? I know you're on the cutting edge with music. Has Isaiah Wilson dropped anything else? You know, the A to Z Instagram account still follows him, and he's consistently putting out stories that make it seem like he's doing something, but I don't think he's actually doing anything, so I haven't seen anything outside of that four-track EP that just had him mumbling poorly with auto That was straight on it. fire. Yeah, yeah man. Um, <laughs> all right, before we let you go, I have one more question. What do you make of the stuff that Arthur Blank said to The Athletic, where he – Got to talking about Julio Jones, and he was perplexed as to why Julio felt disrespected. And he acknowledged that his relationship with some in the building had frayed and that Jones' inability to practice had become a significant issue with the front office and the coaches. Do you see all that and think, "Uh uh-oh, or do you think all that and say it was a bad situation and maybe he just wanted out of it? Or do you see something else? Uh, No, I see tough. Deal with it. He's a superstar NFL player, and Aaron Rodgers just went through this to a degree. Um, you have to make special accommodations for special players. Julio Jones is by far and away the most special player that the Atlanta – well, not far and away because Mike Vick at the, at the peak of his powers was something incredible. But in the last 20 years of, of, the, uh, of the Falcons organization, they made special allowances for Julio Jones. And then when it got to be too much for them, they started taking it personally. And, you know, I'm sorry, but Arthur Blank – I haven't taken Arthur Blank seriously since he sat down on the <laughs> sideline – of the uh, of the Falcons Super Bowl when they ended up blowing it twenty eight to three, looking like a sad sack. Um, you know, he he, he kind of reminds me of uh, he kind of reminds me of Count Dracula just in appearance. Um, but yeah, you know, I just don't take it so seriously. It's a business on both sides, and if you're butthurt about it, uh, Godspeed. I, I just think we should end on that. I, I don't think we can top That's that. A good answer. That was, that was just fantastic and. 
and I know you're ready to start your weekend. And, and that was just all I'm going to do is picture him as a, as a blood sucking vampire. Now, when I see Arthur Blank, so you've given me a complete new perspective on that gentleman and, and Buck, we just wish you the very best and hope you have a fantastic weekend and that you don't see Arthur Blank anywhere. Well, it's, it's him or Rick Patino for who most looks like the undead. So I think, uh, <laughs> I think if we had to put that on a poll, Lucas, that might be one for future reference. Thanks boys. See ya. Buck rising. Hey, you uh, just, can't say he's not honest, baby. You cannot. And uh, all I can think is the count from Sesame Street, and we'll be back in one, two, three, four minutes. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah. No, it'll be just a couple of minutes. Seriously, we had a bunch of balls calls earlier. We're not Call just show back. balls calls. Let's do it. But yeah, jump on the Mark Spain Real Estate Outline, 615-737-1045. We would love to discuss that and more with you. Also, uh, Harry Douglas is saying some amazing stuff about the Titans, like amazing stuff. And uh, you'll want to hear that at some point today during this show. We will play you his words, and you will want to hear them. What does he think about this team? It's Blaine and Mickey with special guest Alex Apple, 104.5 South. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone, hopefully giving you some satisfaction on this Friday. It's a football Friday because there's high school games and there's college games. And we're a week away from pro games. Heck, there's a game on Thursday. So just we're just engulfed in football right now. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, talking a lot of football today. We started the show talking balls. They get the win last night um, over Bowling Green. 38-6 to six is the final. They laid 14-6 to six at the halftime. Uh, at halftime. And uh, got a lot of calls earlier. Alex gave his perspective. I talked about it. And I know Tony, the stud, has been holding on the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline. So let's uh, – Let's get Tony in, and if you want to join him, we've got time to take a couple of calls here. What's going on, Tony? What's going on today, Mickey? How you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I mean, I could not do better. My Lord, I'm doing great. I'm mean, sitting there watching the Butch Jones team. lay bricks down on the field. Down there. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice. Well, I mean, nice. he did lay the brickwork for us. You know, I'm actually still <laughs> over here at Neyland trying to coax uh, Milton out of the pocket. Um, still having a hard time getting him to come out of there. Uh, we're working on it, though. Um, hey, thoughts on some of the game stuff last night? I, I think that uh, you mentioned, you know, a lot of things. You said if if you would have, you know, before the game saw thirty eight to six, would you have signed off on it? I I wouldn't have. Um, okay, I wouldn't have signed off on that. I I would have been more with the fifty fifty two point range offensively. Um, you know, I, critiquing the game yesterday, it's good that the ball is won, I mean, but it's bowling green. You expect an SEC team, no matter who they are, to win their non-conference games and go into their conference schedule 3-0, I think for the most part, for most of the teams in the SEC. So this was pretty standard. Um, we all expected Tennessee to rush somewhere around 300 just because of what bowling green had done in the previous season. Uh, what shocked me is that uh, Milton was actually a statue. I mean, he didn't move around in the pocket a lot, and he missed on his throws um, deep. Um, I think that his decision-making was um, a lot to be questioned. Um, I think there's tons of room for improvement, and um, I think the offensive line uh, did a great job. Um, sucked to see Mays go down. But overall, I think that um, it's good to get a win, but I think the balls left a lot out there last night. I think they lost just a ton of stuff. You know, we were talking about going in and playing mistake-free football 
And I, I, I wouldn't say that we played mistake-free last night. A lot of execution errors and uh, just didn't seem to see Milton's arm um, with the power that he has. I, I was looking for accuracy, and I didn't see that. Um, I, will, I will say that Tillman was open several times, um, and he just flat-out missed him. And the one that he did, uh, it was pretty well defended, actually, and, and Tillman had yeah. to go up and get it. So this week I'm looking for them to do better, boys. I want to see much better execution because if they roll into Florida like that, it's not going to be pretty. Well, it's the, the Johnny Major great call, call is going to be a great, a great test. I mean, Pittsburgh is nothing to write home about, but they're a competent football team. That's also not, you know, the level of like having to play Florida next would be a heavy lift, right? It's kind of a nice intermediary between Bowling Green and Florida, maybe Pitt somewhere right in the middle. You, you just brought up the touchdown pass and, and I put this in my notes watching the game. On his one touchdown pass, he threw to the only receiver on the field that was covered. Was covered. <laughs> now, the guy made a great play. You give Tillman credit. I bet you Cedric Tillman is wishing he'd caught, he'd, Joe Milton had hit him on a few of those balls because he'd be having quite the stat sheet right now. He'd be sitting pretty um, leading the team in, in receptions. I think that the other side of the ball is equally as important to talk about this. And everybody's going to talk about Milton. It was obvious. We all saw it and you don't have to be Greg Cosell to break down and and see exactly where some of the deficiencies were. If you're going to run that kind of offense, you saw it in the second quarter, the defense has to be opportunistic and create turnovers. Cause if you're going to try to score 40 a game, you only have to give up 39 or less, but you've got to have the ability to get the ball back Put your offense in a couple of good positions a couple of times a game. You don't have to be perfect, but you've got to be able to take some chances, create a few turnovers. I was disappointed. The turnovers were two to nothing at the end of the game. Hendon Hooker had the bobble snap. Really, it was one to nothing for most of that ball game. Yeah. That they lost the turnover battle, the bowling green. I need to see the defense create some some turnovers and have some quick changes. As coaches, you'd call them quick changes. You do it all the time in practice. You all of a sudden get guys in a drill, and then you tell them you got 60 seconds to line up. The ball's on the 15, and you got four plays to score. And you help the players adjust to quick changes that way. Um, but that defense is going to have to be a lot more opportunistic um, because otherwise you're going to see teams do exactly what Bowling Green did. Just don't snap it. Don't snap yep. the ball. Right. And you have the ball for a whole quarter. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and you can back me up or you can say, no, that's not right. I, I think the Vols ran seven plays in the second quarter for 13 yards in the second quarter. It was three until one minute left. They had had right. one drive, and the defense yeah. has got to get off the field. That's, and that's yeah, why you've got to exactly be opportunistic. What you're at. Yes. That's exactly what I'm getting at. You, they salted a whole quarter away, and it should not be in Bowling Green's ability to do that against Tennessee. And – that was Bowling Green, who last year couldn't throw the ball and could run it a little bit. And who knows if they'll be able to throw it or run it this this year. Pittsburgh, I went back and looked. They were six and five last year. They were a middle of the pack offensive team. So as you said, to me, the, the Pittsburgh game is such a fantastic test for this squad to see where they are. It's perfect. It's a great perfect test matchup. Then you get Tennessee Tech to kind of take your breath. Then it's Florida. Then it's Missouri. Then make South Carolina. Then it's Ole Miss and Ole Miss guys. Their offense. I mean, they can. I mean, they can keep it away from for, uh, for a quarter or two, and they can keep it away from a lot of people because they can run some long drives. So 
So a lot of work to be done. All right, Lucas is giving us all kinds of hand signals. So either I'm supposed to bunt or steal a base or we're supposed to take a break. So we'll take a break here. We'll come back. (laughs) Hour number two of the show, we're going to break all this down in about 20 minutes with Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel as he will discuss his observations of Tennessee's opening game over Bowling Green. Headlines next and your call, 615-737-1045. 